Our second reading is taken from John chapter 17, the first five verses. This is a portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer, and uh, many assume this is the prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Back in February of 1945, on... uh, uh, a portion of a, a, a peninsula, really, on the Black Sea, known as Yalta, there was a special conference, a great summit, right at the end of World War II. And the primary issue was to determine what would happen to Europe. And the heads of the three most powerful nations in the world gathered there. And I'm sure the people that saw this coming together thought this has to be something of some tremendous historical significant, something of great importance was going to be taking place. And despite the power of all three heads of state that came from three of the greatest nations in the world at the time, each one of them was a flawed individual who had, uh, was suffering in various ways with the effects of the fall into sin. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, representing the United States, was in a wheelchair only two months away from his death. Winston Churchill, who had nearly died of pneumonia not long before that, representing the United Kingdom. Uh, Winston Churchill was um, still struggling with some illnesses, would resign as prime minister in a matter of months. Joseph Stalin, the head of the Soviet Empire, would go on to kill millions of even his own people and virtually imprison many people in Europe. So these three great powerful individuals of humanity and yet representing at this conference, representing such flawed human nature. The Bible presents to us a conference of the three greatest entities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who gather together and hold counsel with each other to discuss the creation of a very unique creature. And here we are sitting here today. These three entities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are yet one entity in the triune God that we know from Scripture and is everlasting and above all the effects of sin and all the curses that would fall on this world. And they gather together, as we see in the book of Genesis, to hold counsel to discuss the creation of this unique creature, a creature that would have the capacity to know this very God and to have a relationship with this very God, unlike any other creature or item or material thing that would be created, even the angels. And this very God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants you to know that long before you and I ever even thought about the possibility of a God, that he was already thinking about you and me and already planning for you to come and live with him forever. The triune God transforms all other life forms and himself is the very source and creator of all life. And yet this, this same all-powerful God that sometimes to us may seem so far out of reach from our world is not aloof. He intends to know each one of us personally, individually, and has designed each one of our bodies, given us our talents, and knows how many hairs are on our head. And he wants to be personally active in your existence in this world and in the world to come. The Hebrew words in front of us in Genesis chapter 1 are very interesting where God says, let us make man in our image. The three persons now hold counsel together to discuss this. And uh, the, the Hebrew there is wonderful that it not only shows a plurality of the persons and yet the oneness of God in, in this triune God. Your existence that has, is here called into, into being, your existence is a deliberate and obvious plan of God. This is not some strange, random thing. You're not, just a, you're not just a random bit of material that has evolved from other type of life forms. And so your existence and your knowledge of your existence matters to God. And that is why he chooses to have this recorded for us by his Holy Spirit. There is a thoughtful intent from a supreme being behind your very existence. So God, not only did God create us and create humanity, but he wanted us to learn about it. He wanted you to know about it. He wanted you to understand the intricacies of, of how you are a unique creature from anything else that is created in the world. And so he's made sure to record that throughout the pages of scripture, starting primarily in Genesis chapter 1. And so this heavenly council among the three persons of the Trinity is called upon to design the very physical bodies that we have, the minds that we have, the souls that God has placed inside of us. And there is a built-in superiority to this humanity, this human creature that is to be above all other creatures by God's deliberate decree and design. The, the Hebrew word used here for create is only used in the Old Testament when God is the sole author of the action and only when, he, when it is an act that is unique and unprecedented. The word for create. Just recently, Charles was crowned the new king of England after the death of his mother. And the crown that was placed on his head uh, bears inside of it a large ruby stone that is 170 carats. It's called the Black Prince's Ruby. And that crown has close to 3,000 jewels all over the crown. Think of that a little bit like a picture of God's creation and the stars and the heavens and the universe and everything else. All the different things are like the, the, uh, the little jewels and gems that God creates. But then there's this one beautiful ruby on the top of it all, and that is humanity. That's how God wants you and me to understand our significance to him. 
There was a different plan involved. There was a different process involved when it comes to the creation of people, when it comes to who we are. We were the crowning jewel, the crowning ruby in God's entire plan of, of the, the whole creation that would be laid out. And man is now this, the, the climax, the final majestic point, the central jewel in that crown of God's work. If you think about it, other creatures are designed to eat and to drink and to die. We are designed to live, to live forever. You and I have a capacity inside of us to know this God in a unique way above all of the animal kingdom and the fish and the birds and everything else. Everything else in the world, because of the fall into sin, will ultimately cease. But you and I will not. God has made us in a very special and unique way. Back in the 12th century, there was a theologian named Peter Lombard who said this, The animals are designated as footprints of God, but man alone is the image of God. Martin Luther wrote this, Moses indicates that we were created for a better life in the future than this physical life would have been, even if our nature had remained unimpaired. So he's saying there's an implication in Scripture that, that even if sin had never entered the world, which it clearly has, just look at us and our condition, but even if that had not happened, God had created humanity for a unique and different relationship with him, an eternal relationship already implying heaven. So God would have us reflect on our creation and see once again your great value and the importance that you hold to him. He would have you look at, at your own creation and the creation of our first parents through the cross. Look at it through the blood of his son because that once again reminds us and shows us of the tremendous value that we have to God. It's as if God is saying to you and me in Scripture, see how much you matter to me and how much you have always mattered to me and how much you always will matter to me. And so the arrival of God's Son into the world to go to the cross, and as we see in our Lord's words just the night before, to, to go to the cross to, ultimate rede to ultimately redeem us out of all of the conditions that would fall upon us because of the fall into sin, that, again, reiterates to us the tremendous importance that we have to this triune God. He would not do this for the greatest of the dinosaurs or the elephants or the whales. He would not do this for the oldest of the most beautiful beasts of the earth, the greatest that are found in the fossil record. He is, there is no bird that is so wonderful and noble that is worthy of the blood of the Son of God. There is no indication that there are any stars or planets in the universe that have this kind of value to God. Not even Gabriel, the archangel, would be worthy of the blood of Christ, but you are. You and I have been and are because of the work of God's Son for us. Just think of the value that God places on human beings, on you, on your life, on your future resurrection and your hope of eternity. In the world's economic system, the way the world looks at things, you are merely a piece of matter that's worth anywhere from $5 to $500, depending on how you calculate the chemicals that make up your body. 
But in God's economic system, you are the only being created by God worthy of the sacrifice of his own son to come and redeem by his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. God wanted you to know this and he wants you to believe this and he wants you to trust this. This tremendous value is shown in the second conference that we see in John chapter 17 as Jesus prays to his father. By faith, what a blessing we know we have that we belong to such a gracious triune God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Amen.